0: going to be the consummation of the kingdom of God in heaven itself. He's accusing them of ending in the flesh. When you live by your natural desires, trying to keep the law, it ends. The end is judgment and eternal death. But he's implying that when you are, when you begin in the spirit, it's just going to get better. It's just going to go on and on and on. How much you experienced in vain, if it was in vain. Now this is uh, something that Lutherans have to deal with. How many of your translations say, how much you suffered in vain? Okay. And that can be the word. Um, we Lutherans like that word, because Lutherans like to suffer. Just think about when. Okay, we like to suffer. Okay. But it may be applying something much different. Something that we're not really acquainted with. It could be that it is how much you experienced. How much you experienced. Now, Lutherans do not like to talk about experience and emotion at all. But it's part of leading the Christian life because you cannot divorce emotion and experience from the gift that God gives you. Like peace, joy, love. Those are things that you experience and they are part of the great Christian life. They are emotional things. <clears throat> it is not bad to think in terms of the Christian life as experience and emotion, <clears throat> but what we don't rely on is that we don't rely on our own emotions and experiences as the basis of our faith. The basis of our faith is the word, okay? Because it never moves. Now, our experiences and our emotions change, okay? If you decide that because I'm a Christian, I'm to be joyful and happy all the time, and then when you have a letdown, you say, well, there must be something wrong with my faith. That's giving experience and emotion too much emphasis. Because the basis of your faith is the word of God and it never changes. So even if you're having a downtime, you can flee to the word of God and it tells you your sins are still forgiven and you still have eternal life. And just because you don't feel the best today doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. So we have to balance that. And if we take it that way, then how much you experienced in vain, if it was in vain. okay. He's saying, maybe you didn't suffer. Maybe you didn't experience things in vain. Maybe it was for your good. So I just wanted to bring that out because sometimes we give emotions and experience a bad rap in the Lutheran church. Um, Now, next, verse five. All right. Therefore, he who worked in you, uh, the spirit and miraculous signs in you, was it from the works of law or from the hearing of faith. All right. So again, the spirit, uh, the spirit comes up. Uh, where did you get it? The one who works in you, okay? Supplies you, provides to you the Spirit and the miraculous works. Now, the term is miraculous works or works of marvel. What are we talking about there? The Apostle Paul certainly had the ability to do miraculous works. We see that in the book of Acts, uh, we see that, but it's talking about marvelous works here. Now, one of the things, if you trace Christianity, and the growth of Christianity, at the beginning, when the faith was proclaimed, take the book of Acts, there were miraculous signs being done, okay? We all know that. This is one of the first mission fields there was. This was probably Paul's, it was his first missionary journey when he went to these people. were miraculous signs still going on in these early Christian communities as they were in the Book of Acts. I don't think we can say, no, they weren't, because if you'll read carefully about the spread of the gospel in a lot of third world countries, it's accompanied by miraculous works. It's documented when they first come to Christ. And so uh, we just have to take this here that Paul is saying that that kind of work of God in you, among you, through you, is just that, a work of God. The giving of the Spirit and the working of miraculous faith, uh, uh, miraculous signs. It doesn't mean, but they did not come to you through the works of the law. But, through the hearing of the gospel, okay? And then he adds for emphasis, just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, okay? That verse is first quoted in Genesis chapter 15. If you were in early church, you heard that verse quoted in our epistle lesson today in Romans chapter 4. And it's quoted again here. Now what Paul is beginning to develop is the argument that by works of law was never God's way to save people. Never was we know that those who are from faith, they are the sons of Abraham. For the scripture foresaw that from faith God would justify the Gentiles. So the, gospel, the promises were preached beforehand to Abraham because all the nations will be blessed in you, that's Abraham, so that those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Now, here's the argument that he's making. None of God's promises were given through the works of the law. None of them. They were all given. The promises were given by God and were received by faith. God made the promise to Abraham that he would give him the land. God promised him that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God gave Abraham the promise your descendants will be as many as the stars of the heaven. But they were all promises that were received by faith. Abraham believed in God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It's always been by faith. This notion that the people of the Old Testament were saved by works and the people of the New Testament were saved by faith is just not true. It's just not true. Abraham was counted righteous because of faith, faith. All the nations of the earth were blessed through him by faith. Okay? And then he adds to this argument. All right? He adds to this argument. For as many, okay, so they're best. For as many as are from the works of law are under a curse. For it has been written that cursed is everyone who does not remain, in all that has been written in the book of the law, and do them. Okay? In other words, cursed is everyone who does not keep everything that is written in the book of the law. That's not a promise. That's not a promise at all. It's a threat of God's wrath. And that's what it says in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 27, 26 says this very thing. This is a quote from that. Okay. You're under a curse. Okay. The next verse. For in the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God because the just will live by faith. A quote from Habakkuk. That quotes also in Romans. There is no justification from the law. God did not give the law to justify his people. We talked about that last week. The law was given to people that God had already saved, brought through the Red Sea, and they were to show the people, how do people of faith who believe in me live? How are they to live? That was the purpose of the law. God had already saved them from Egypt. Had already saved them. The law is not from faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming in our behalf, a curse. Okay. Now, here's one of those great passages that clearly defines the gospel. There was a curse upon us because we had not, could not, do everything that was written in the book of the law. No one can. So in order to save us, God, Jesus Christ, had to take upon himself the curse that rightly belonged on us. This is his substitutionary work. And again, we have that word, the preposition, who pair here, on our behalf, becoming on our behalf a curse. And how do we know he took this curse? Because it has been written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 21. We know that he's taken this curse upon himself because the Old Testament said, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Jesus Christ took the curse of the law upon himself. So that curse would not rest upon us. This is the substitutionary atonement, okay? That He did it in our behalf. He took the curse that we deserved upon Himself. Cursed is everyone that hangs in a tree. That means that on that cross, Jesus Christ was cursed by God. That's why he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God had. He had forsaken me. He was the curse. In that moment, under the curse of God's wrath and punishment, so that that would not be poured out on us. Okay? That's the pure gospel. Okay? So it would not be poured out upon us. And so uh, he's making the gospel clear here. Um, he's. he's uh, pointing us only to Christ, only to Christ. Um, and he says, so that in Christ Jesus, verse 14, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Okay. He's back to faith. How do you receive spirit? By faith, not from works of law. He said it now three times. Okay? He's emphasizing that, not through works of law. So now he speaks, he says, I'll give you I say to you, brothers, I say to you according to man or a human example, that is, his example is this, the will of a man that has been ratified, no one can annul it. Or add to it. Now that is a human example. No one changes a will. No one can just change it. If it's been ratified, it's good. Now, so here he says to Abraham and to his seed. The promises were spoken. Does not say, and to his seeds, as from many, but as to one. And your seed is Christ. Okay, so what he's saying is God gave Abraham a promise that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and he promised it through a seed, not seeds, but a seed because one of the descendants of Abraham would be Jesus Christ. And it is become because of Jesus Christ that all, all the nations will be blessed. Okay? All the nations will be blessed. And this I say the law came four hundred and thirty years after the covenant ratified beforehand by God. No one can annul it or bring the promise to naught. All right, here's his argument. All these promises were made to Abraham, all of them. Land, a blessing to all nations, descendants as many as the stars in the heavens. Those promises came 430 years before God gave the law to Moses. Okay. 430 years before the law came to Moses. The giving of the law 430 years later does not annul the covenant that God made with Abraham 430 years before based on promises. It can't annul, just like you can't annul a human will that's been ratified, the giving of the law four hundred and thirty years later does not undo, annul, add to the promises that God had given to Ada Abraham and ratified them to him. The law does not annul those. The Law is not a means of salvation, and it does not annul the promises of the gospel okay? does not annul promises of the gospel for the inheritance. For if from the law there is an inheritance, or the inheritance is from the law, then no longer is it by promise, but God looked, upon favor, looked favorably upon Abraham through a promise, okay? through a promise. So look at that again. If the inheritance of all that has God has promised has been given through the law, then there's no need of promises. If it's been given through what you do, there's no need of promises. No need whatsoever. But that's not how God dealt with Abraham. God looked with favor on Abraham through the promise. Okay? So he keeps bringing it back over and over again to the promises, to the gospel message, so that they can't argue their way out of this. He's cutting off every argument that they might use to say, we receive the gifts of God and the favor of God by works. He's seeking to cut off every single avenue that you could think that. So then in verse 19, he asked the obvious question: "Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. OK, what was added? And a good way to understand this is that God gave the law so that there would be absolutely no doubt that everybody on this earth needs a savior. The law was given to compound sin so that there would be no way out. So that there'd be no way to justify yourself. So you'd be constantly brought back to the fact, I have not kept this law, and to keep you in that until Christ came, so that everybody would know they need a savior. Now, how was this law given? And this is interesting. It was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now that has stumped scholars for years. We do know from Deuteronomy also, verse uh, chapter 33, that it's always talked about that when God comes, it's surrounded by tens of thousands of His mighty angels. What's being said is that when Moses went up Sinai, he God was there, accompanied by all these angels. We can't say any more than that. Who was the intermediary? Moses. You remember the people at the base of Mount Sinai said, please don't let God speak to us. They were so terrified by what they saw on that mountain, they begged Moses, don't let God speak to us. Moses was the intermediary. Okay? He was the intermediary. Actually, it says uh, the exact words here are that um, it was given through angels into the hand of a mediator. Those are the actual words, in the hand of a mediator, okay? The mediator is not one, but God is one. Nobody has absolutely any idea of what that means, okay? You can read pages and pages and pages about it. Now, we know God is one, but who is not one? What's being talked about? Is it Moses and the angels? That's not one. What is it? There are seven or eight solutions that are proposed and no one comes to much of a conclusion. The easiest thing to say is that it's Moses. Moses is not one, okay? As God is one. But beyond that, there's not much you can say, okay? We've had a couple of those lately, and rather than speculate, it's easiest just to say we don't know we don't know therefore is the law is the law contrary to the gospel of god and here's that phrase again we've seen it many times in romans by no means by no means It is not that way, okay? It is not that way. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, if God had given a law that would make you righteous, then he didn't need to give you the gospel. The death of Jesus Christ was in vain. So God never gave the law with the intention that it would be for salvation. Never. He gave Adam and Eve one law. Only one. Wouldn't you love to have only one? And they blew it. Okay? So, he didn't give the law to save us. Because if he had, then he would not have given us the gospel. Jesus Christ would had never come. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Okay. We're back to the law. It's a custodian, actually the word is pedagogue. Okay? Pedagogue. The law was to keep us, discipline us, keep us focused on the fact that we need a Savior until Christ came. And then we would be justified by faith, okay? That was the function of the law. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We live no longer by the law, but by faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. He's already said, you're sons of Abraham by faith. Now he's saying, you are sons of God by faith. You are sons of God by faith. And then, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The imagery of put on, is to put on a new life, to recast yourself, to recreate, that God in baptism recreates you and your old won't do. You have to be clothed with the new, Okay, with the new. That is why, when you baptize babies many times, there is a baptismal gown, and it is white. Because you're putting on Christ. Okay? Over the sin and death, you're putting on Christ. Okay? You're recreated. Okay? There is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise." There he is again. It started with promises made to Abraham. It's always been by promise. Through baptism, you are in Christ, your sons, children of Abraham, and it's all by promise. No works of the law, none. So this chapter is much like many of the chapters we studied when we did Romans especially Romans chapter 4, which, as I indicated, is read uh, as the epistle lesson in church today. As you listen to that, if you hadn't been to church yet, listen for that, the parallel with this chapter. Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Okay? And the purpose of those chapters by the Apostle Paul is to cut off any hope, belief, teaching, doctrine, anything that says salvation is in another way than faith in Jesus Christ. It's to silence all voices. Okay, got a few minutes for questions. it's a pretty straightforward chapter. Yeah, Dan? Now ask that again, I didn't catch the first part. Yes. Yeah, his question is, how can they be so focused on Israel? When a passage like this says it has nothing to do with race, creed, color, male or female, nothing. How can they become so focused? The the concept, it has to be the way they view the word Israel. And in the New Testament, after you read Romans 11, it's very clear that Israel should be defined today as everyone who believes in Jesus Christ both Jews and Gentiles, which goes with this passage from Galatians. When you begin to define Israel as only the nation, it's going to be all messed up. It's going to be all messed up. Because then you get into the whole matter, well, then is Israel a nation, the only one saved? And how can they be saved since they don't believe in Jesus Christ? I mean, it just is a kettle of fish. Israel has to be defined as all believers in Jesus Christ everywhere. The word Israel in the New Testament context means the church. It's the new Israel. It's the church is the new Israel. Yes. And see, the Jews never wanted to fess up. God was telling Abraham he was gonna save the Gentiles. And it's in the Old Testament If you look for it, it's all over Isaiah, okay? It's all over Isaiah. That was God's plan. And as Romans 11 says, his plan was that Jesus Christ would come, and many of the Jews would reject, and that would open the door to the Gentiles. And then when the Gentiles came in, it says some of the Jews got jealous and came back. It was all God's plan, all God's plan. But his plan was never to be restrictive. He wanted to save everybody. Jews, Gentiles, slave, free, male, female, no distinctions. And that was his plan. Sometimes there are Uh, healings, Uh, blind receive sight. Yeah, they have been reported. They have been reported. And while it's easy for us to say, well, God doesn't do that anymore. I'm not going to say that. Okay. God can do what he wants. And if it takes that to bring people to Christ. He can provide that, but that's in a setting where people are not demanding signs, as in Jesus' day. Okay. All right. Yeah, bud. Uh, Going back to verse twenty-three and twenty-four. Says now before faith. Now, Abraham was deemed righteous by faith, but here he's implying that the faith that we were held captive till the faith came. So this seems to imply that. The whole Old Testament, yes. Is that what he's getting at? I think it is what he's getting at, because it's not like faith didn't exist. That even people of faith have to be reminded by the law they need a Savior, over and over and over again, otherwise they start believing they can save themselves. So I think that's exactly what he's getting at. And the whole Old Testament is to point to Christ, okay? I've told you this before. Luther said, I can find Jesus Christ in every passage of the Old Testament, just give me some time, okay? And on that note, we'll close. We'll start on chapter four next week. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, amen.